You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. If you are a Christian, you're born again in this room. Raise your hand. I didn't tell you to put them down. Oh, 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 oh. So behind everyone, now you put them down. The gym rats are like, yeah, what? Behind every one of those raised hands is a story. An amazing story of redemption. Amazing story of God working on their behalf to find them. To get the message of Jesus to them. It's his story. H-I-S dash story. It's history. It's his history in your life. Behind every one of those hands of a redeemed person that when I am a child of God, I'm a Christian. They had part in that. They probably didn't see the sovereign God working all of these unique, very unique and specific plans on behalf of them and their being saved. But God was working on their behalf. And this morning we're going to be going through a passage. You could turn with me over to Acts chapter 16, where, again, we're going to see just the sovereign side of God in how he saves people, what he does to reach people. We're going to see what it takes on behalf of these individuals getting saved in order for them to be saved. If you're new here online and you're like, I'm not a Christian, this is a great passage. Last week we knew we were coming into this portion of Acts and we encouraged our church. If you know some people that don't know the Lord, have them tune in this coming Sunday, which is today. So maybe you're here or you're listening online because a loved one or a friend just cared enough about you to want to see you hear about Jesus. And and their their heart and their desire would be that you would know uh, him personally. So the book of Acts, uh, briefly, is a uh, it gives us the account of the, the church from the time it was birthed to how the gospel would spread through the Roman Empire and different people would hear uh, the, the gospel message and, and be saved and churches would be planted. Paul the Apostle in Acts chapter 16 is on his second missionary journey. He'll take three of these journeys. Before he ever went on his first one, if you went to Paul and said, what is God's plan for your life? He would say, yeah, he just called me to reach like Jew, Gentiles, and, and, and even like he's going to put me before kings one day. But I'm not sure how that's all going to work out. He wouldn't have handed you this, oh, here's my itinerary. On these days, I go to these cities. On these years, I'm going to minister in this region. On these years, it's a second missionary journey, and I'm going to do it with different people in a different way and reach a different region. He wouldn't have told you that. He wouldn't have known that, but God did. God knew every day. God knew every conversation he would have. God knew every person that he would encounter, and God knew every person that God would want to reach through Paul. And whoever shared the gospel with you one day, God knew who they were. And he was working in their life as uniquely as he was in the life of Paul because he loved you. And he wanted you to be his own. 
He wanted to redeem you. He wanted to, to free you and I from the penalty of sin, which is separation from God, both down here and throughout eternity. And he orchestrated events in such a way that we could hear the gospel. We could believe and we can be saved. On this third missionary journey, Paul found himself coming to the continent of Europe. He would end up in the city of Philippi. He wanted to go into Asia Minor, but the Lord forbid him. The Holy Spirit was directing him. The Holy Spirit we saw last week was directing him by saying no. And he would find himself now, as we we pick up in verse 11, in in 11 through 13, that they're they're traveling now, sailing from Troas, where he had this vision. Remember, he had this vision where there was this man from Macedonia, which is in Greece, which is in Europe, saying, hey, 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 come, come and, and help us. And so he went to his team members, which would have been by now Silas and Timothy, and Luke, and he's like, the Lord made it clear where to go. So they're now heading towards the continent of, of Europe. They're going to end up in Philippi, which is the foremost city in that part of Macedonia. It says it's a colony. So it's a, it's a happening area. It's a colony of Rome, which meant it would have had a large military presence. Um, they were there for a few days, verse 13, and on the Sabbath, they went out of the city to the riverside where prayers were customarily made, and we sat down and we spoke with the women there. Let me give you the setting. When Paul would typically go into a city, he would look for a synagogue. Being a Jew, being raised in the customs of Judaism, now converted and a follower of Christ, he was very familiar with how the Jews thought. He would go into those church settings, much like walking into a place like this where people are worshiping God, and he would begin to look for that opportunity to share, and he would, and God would honor that, and many people were saved in those settings. The fact that he does not find a synagogue in a city on the Sabbath means there was not a synagogue. That meant that there weren't at least 10 Jewish men who were heads of their households in the city of Philippi, and the traditions said that if that was not the case, then whoever met as Jews, would have to do outside under the stars. And so you can imagine Paul and Silas, Luke, Timothy walking around going, okay, where are those people? And the word would get out. There's some people outside the city gate, down by the river. And, and you know, they, they, they sit around and they worship. And as they, 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 they go down there, they see that there are women there. Now, I'm sure Paul was like, I know that God told me in this vision there would be a man. <laughs> But here are these women. How many times we are trying to figure out this Christian thing, trying to figure out our walk, and we even like, we're sure God said one thing, but the circumstances in front of me, they look a little bit different. And sometimes we want to like pigeonhole God to like, today, this is what it is, right, God? This is what I see today. This is what, and it doesn't line up with what you showed me yesterday. But God is also the God of our tomorrow and the next day. God had the whole city in mind. God was trying to give Paul in that vision a heart for the entire city, for the entire continent. And little did he know that this is where the work of God in Europe would begin. 
they go. And as they are there, they see these women. Now, if Paul would have arrived as a Pharisee, which he was prior to being saved, if he would have arrived in Philippi as a Pharisee, anybody would have said, where, where's, where do we go to worship? It's the Sabbath. They would have said, there is no, there is no synagogue. There's not at least ten men. He goes, well, is there anybody? I'm a good Jewish guy. I want to go. And, and, and if he would have walked down to the river and saw only women, his legalistic mindset would have kicked in and and Pharisees prayed this prayer every day just to understand who he was versus now who he is a Pharisee prayed this prayer every single day God I thank you that I am not I am not a Gentile thank you Lord I'm not a Gentile thank you that I'm not a slave girls close your ears thank you that I am not a woman They taught their congregation that it would be better to burn the law than to have it read by women. That's serious prejudice. That's serious legalism. But that's serious prejudice and serious legalism that's been conquered by God's grace. Now, now, Lydia, as it says here in verse 14, it's a focus on her, one of the women that were there. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. Thyatira was known for its purple dye. She was probably in the garment business. She was not at home. She was from Thyatira, probably sent there by her business in Philippi to an established, like, a base there. She would have been selling to wealthy people, probably wealthy herself, But it says she was also one who worshipped God. And it says the Lord had opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. When Paul walks down, she sees four men. These women who are practicing Judaism, worshipping God. They would have went through whatever whatever practices of a worship setting they were allowed to, most scholars believe that, that Lydia was not, was not a Jew, but they believe that whatever pagan religion was offered in Philippi, she didn't want it. And they also say that something about the successes that could be found in her day left her empty and seeking for something else. And so she found this group of girls, Jews, practicing and worshiping God. And she got to a point where at least she was, she was worshiping God. That means that she seeks God. For you that might not be saved, here you're listening online, you not, might not be saved. Understand there's, there's God's part in this as he's orchestrating the events of Paul to bring the message to these people. At, at the same time, there's some human responsibility. God responds to a seeking heart. God will not force salvation on any of us. He's not going to force himself on, on any of us. Lydia here, she finds herself like brought to Greece, has no idea that this is all part of God's plan. God brings Paul to the same location. 
leads him by way, by virtue of the Holy Spirit, closing doors to this open door. And I just want you to pause for a moment and think of what it would have been to be one of these Jewish women, to see four men walk into your setting. What they saw walking towards them was grace. Men in those settings would have written them off, wouldn't have given them the the time of day. So the fact that they even walked up would have got them to begin to open their hearts. Their hearts were open to God. They were seekers of God. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you you search for me with all of your heart. And so she was starting to, to like worship and understand who the God of Judaism was. And he is the one true living God. But she was also listening. She had a heart to receive. She says here that, that, that she was able to like, the Lord had opened her heart to heed the things that were spoken by Paul. So she was, she was a seeker of God, but she also had this, this open heart. You know, when Jesus would, would speak oftentimes in the Gospels, he would speak in parables. And at the end of his parables, he would say this. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Let me explain what that means in the Greek. What he was saying is this. Hey, if your ears are working, man, may you really take in what I hear. No, no, no. He wasn't saying that. He wasn't saying master the, the auditory skills that I'm, you know, with your ears and, and like take in what I'm saying. You know, understand it is where he was going. The idea is he was talking about the heart. To hear with your heart. He was talking about spiritual receptivity. Now, not everybody who heard what Jesus said heard with spiritual receptivity. There will be some people that, that came here today out of all of the hundreds of people that will be here or online. And there will be some that, that their heart believed what the word said. They believed it. Others are going to be sitting there. That's just Lance's opinion. That's just so 2,000 years ago. We're hearing the exact same thing. But some are going to hear with spiritual receptivity and their lives will be changed as a result and others will not. That's just the way it is. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my words and believes. That was the focal point. The, the, the believing. So Lydia was one of these people that she like heard what Paul was saying, but she was, she was believing it as it was being said. A great example of this is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, where Paul's talking to the church believers now, and he's like, look, we give thanks for you guys all of the time, because from the beginning... <laughs> God chose you for salvation. That's the doctrine of, of election. When it comes to salvation, understand it begins with God. He, he, he chose us. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the earth. And in, and in the Greek structure of that phrase, um, it, there's a, the, the, the word chose is a, is a prefix. And it knows out from. Like God chose us out from the world. Out from 
the, the penalty and the power of, of all of what sin has caused in the world. He chose us to out of that, but then in the Greek structure of that as well, it's in the middle voice, it means to something. He chose us out from the world unto himself. That's just part of the doctrine of salvation. It's part of what God did in saving us. It's part of what God wants to do, if you're not saved, in saving you. But then he says, but it was also through sanctification by, and belief in the truth. Sanctification by the Spirit and then belief in the truth. The sanctification in the Spirit is it's, it's the work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that actually sets a believer apart from sin and the penalty of sin unto righteousness, into right standing with God. What's our part? We've got to believe in truth. That's talking about our part. Paul would say in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God that, believes, that brings salvation, or the power of God, excuse me, unto salvation for everyone who believes, whether you're a Jew or a, a, a Greek. Then he would say in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. That's why typically at the end of one of our services, we have that time to pray that prayer, to say those things to God. The Lord opened Lydia's heart. Not only did the Lord open up a door for Paul to come to Europe, but the Lord opened up the heart of this woman as she was hearing the gospel and she was saved. She had a heart that was open to God, open to his word. And so the same spirit, the Holy Spirit that led Paul there, worked through the word of God and, and convinced a woman of her need for the Savior. The same God who ordained the end, Lydia's salvation, also ordained the means to the end, getting Paul in front of her, sharing the gospel. And the impact of grace, she saw grace, she witnessed grace, she heard the gospel of grace, and the impact of, of that grace was not just an impact upon her, but it says that she and her household were saved. And they'll be baptized. And when we, when we look at that, sometimes it's kind of, oh, well, okay, the, Lydia's saved out. She was baptized, turned her household and whatnot. But I just want to camp out on this. I want you to think about, in the early church, how genuine these people were before their God and before one another when God began to transform their lives. Today, in our busyness of Southern California Christianity, we have baptismal services. They're kind of on a schedule. As soon as someone says, already baptized, we start building up a schedule. And they're great and they're awesome. But I do find that we baptize a lot of people that have been saved for a lot of years. You didn't find that in the early church. There was something so genuine going on that they were like, they couldn't wait to be a witness, an outward witness of what the Lord had done in their life. So like right away, her and her household are, are being baptized. Imagine the, the joy and the smiles and the laughter that it, that it brought to this team when all of this was, was happening. And then in verse 15, it says that after that, they begged. She like begged us saying, if, 
you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord. If you really believe I've been saved, come to my house and stay. And she persuaded us. Again, let's not just gloss over this. This, this, this girl, this woman and her household were so changed. Jesus had become so real to them. They wanted more. The hunger was just, I can't miss it. I, don't leave. Don't leave. The hunger was just palpable. And then the commitment and the sacrifice of Paul and his team to say, what do you think, Luke, you want to hang out for a while? She seems like she might be a good cook and everything. Yeah, but she's so hungry for the word. All right, let's just stay. And I want you to think about the, the church as it's, it's, the Lord is planting the church. What is it? What is it that takes root in the Roman Empire? What is it that was being galvanized here? It was the hunger of those being converted. And it was the love and the commitment and the sacrifice of those that were sharing the gospel. Yesterday and Friday, we had a, it's an honor to, to host, they call it a youth, youth workers conference. I'm not a conference guy. I don't like lanyards. But it's a joke. If you've been to like a, a mini, forget it. It's a joke. Point is this. I don't speak at these. Not from a pulpit and not from a platform. I put an apron on. Because people don't know me, a lot of them. They're from different areas. But these are the next generation. The leaders and the ones they're pouring into. And they're coming here to be equipped. And I just can't think of a better way to equip them than to put on an apron and serve them. Walk around, touch their shoulders. My goal is to touch every shoulder that shows up on this property. Touch the shoulder and talk to them. Why? Because the walls come down around meals. Start clearing the plates on a table. And the walls will come down. And those conversations are mentoring moments. They're, they're opportunities that, that, for a person like me, I can express my love and my appreciation to them in such a needed way. I need to do that because it's in my heart. I love them. And I thank God that there's this generation that's hungry coming up behind us that will take time and they'll, they'll, they'll say, just tell me what to do. Help me. And we as a church are so busy. I don't mean your church is busy every day. We as Christians coming to this church are so crazy busy. Pause with me. Who's the Paul that brought you the gospel? How's that relationship worked out over the years? Who have you been a Paul to? How's those relationships ongoing? This is why we are where we are today. It was a very relational approach 
These people were galvanized in their faith, but they were galvanized in life together. And we've built big auditoriums and put big steeples on buildings. And we've just applauded a lot of that over the years as the church. And we've glossed over the very things that gave traction and gave opportunity for the Holy Spirit to advance the gospel throughout the world to where it reached us. Paul and his team had no idea that a church was being planted. I sat down with some people all in their 20s yesterday at a table, and they didn't, they didn't figure out who I was. And one of them was like, well, where do you go to church? I go here. <laughs> what do you do here? I, go, I just I work around here. Yeah, but what do you do? I teach. Really? Yeah. Well, well, I'm the pastor. You're the pastor. And this is what I said to them. The same life that's been entrusted to me, the life of Jesus, has been entrusted to you. Who knows? But our 30 minutes sitting here, God might stir one of you up. And someone else in this world, their life and their city is going to be changed because you believe what we're saying. This is what's going on. It happened, verse 16. Now as they go, you know, they're they're staying with her and they're going back, it says. They went to pray. So with this opportunity, there's always going to be opposition. There's this slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination. Met us. She was bringing her masters much profit for fortune-telling. Followed Paul around and the team, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God. And they proclaim to us, as we live here in Philippi, the way of salvation. She kept doing this for like many days. I, 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 I look at this, I'm like, wow, there's a poor girl that's demonized following Paul around and saying things that are true, but she's from the father of lies. My heart goes out to her. And then I'm like, what a devilish plan. (laughs) These demons were controlling her life and giving her predictive powers. She's being pimped out as a fortune teller. I can't think of a more horrifying life. She's following these guys around. And the, 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 the demon or demons are empowering her to like say these things and and, and it's interesting because she's quoting things. And true, yeah, they are of the Most High God. And yes, they do tell people the way of salvation. Very true. But the enemy was behind that. People around the city could, could see her with Paul, Barnabas, or Paul, excuse me, Silas, and Timothy and Luke and go, oh, there's one of their spokesmen. And if that would have just been allowed, Satan would have had a foothold or a stronghold in the church. And that it could have been catastrophic for the cause of Christ. So after this continues for a little bit, it annoys Paul in verse 18. He's like, he's greatly annoyed. And he turned and he spoke to the Spirit. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. 
And when I read this, I'm like, yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of this. I've seen a lot of strongholds. I've seen a lot of demon-possessed people. I've seen God deliver a lot of demon-possessed people. Early in my childhood, I saw demonic activity in our church and people walk up to the people that have come in. As a little boy, I watched this stuff. That person's like saying crazy things, but their mouth is not moving. Daddy, what's wrong with that person? And I watched many times. Pastor would come up and say, look, if you're not a serious believer right now, you probably want to leave the room. And I watched my dad and I watched others just go up and lay their hands on these flailing people and cry out to the name of Jesus. When you call out the name of Jesus, you know what you're saying? By his authority, which is greater than Satan's, and by his power, which is always greater than Satan, we ask you, God, deliver. Now, some of us are like, this is freaking me out right now. But every one of you right now know people in your life that are held by strongholds of the enemy. And you just don't want to go into the demon talk. Because they're not walking around maybe manifesting what we might see with some of these illustrations in Scripture or even in real life. When I read this, I always go, where did Paul learn that? Where did he learn to say that? Well, maybe it was just learning a whole lot about Jesus, and he realized that every time Jesus encountered a demon in a person that was demon-possessed, that person left delivered. Huh, in the name of Jesus then, right? In the power of Jesus. And some of us right now, you have loved ones and friends And you look at their life and you're really worried about them. You are. You see the addictions. You see the vices. You see the lifestyle. You see the groups they're hanging around with. And you worry about them. We hear what's going on with fentanyl. We hear what's going on with the drug addiction. We're suicide things. And we're like, and and we're worried about our own kids and our own grandkids. Well, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Yeah, that's what the scriptures say. So we're not going to like out-logic those loved ones or out-reason them or just kind of like, oh, I'm going to say some really, you know, directive things that are going to deliver them. No, something more powerful than what holds them needs to deliver them, and that is Jesus Christ. And we need to be prayed up and spirit-filled. So even when we're talking to them, our loved ones and our friends, that the the, the power of Jesus through our, our words, what we say, the, 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 the scriptures that we quote, that, that there's, there's some conquering that's being accomplished by Jesus in these relationships. This girl is delivered. You would think it would be a time to throw a party for everybody. But in verse 19, when the masters saw that, the, 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 their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they drugged them into the marketplace in front of the, the like, authorities. <laughs> what? And then it's, it's like they, they bring them in front of them in verse 22 or 2022, and they, they say, these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or to observe. So Paul and Silas are just 
going around and Luke and Timothy ministering, and there's the girl, and they kind of bug Paul for a little bit. He's like, this, is, this has gone on far enough. Young lady, come over here. In the name of Jesus Christ, he speaks to that crazy demon, come out of her. She's delivered. I'm sure they're like, that was awesome. One amen. That was awesome. And then they're walking around probably like, this is such a cool day. And all of a sudden, her pimps show up. And they make this big old hubbub in the, in the marketplace. And they get the local authorities. They don't talk about the relationship they had with this girl in the sense of, you know, we're making all this money off of her and we're just really bummed about that. They don't talk about the plight of her life. None of that. They don't talk about what they would have just witnessed, the power of God. They don't talk about that, the deliverance and the amazing change of life in this young girl. They don't do any of that. What do they do? They look for any reason they can to destroy these men because their pocketbook was hurt. Roman law said that you are free to worship any religion in Rome that you so choose. Follow the Greek gods, the Roman gods. You follow Judaism, you follow whatever. But you can't proselytize. You can't try and pull people your way. You can't try and convert them your way. And these guys knew that. And so they're like, hey, 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 they're saying things that are contrary to the law. They're, they're, they're breaking the law in that sense. And the whole area, the marketplaces where everybody gathered, all of the people that God wanted to reach through Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, watch this. Just picture this. The enemy's trying to misrepresent God. The enemy's trying to put something on them that's not true to where all of the people they're trying to reach with the true would go, you guys are out of bounds. You're lawbreakers. If that's not enough, it says in verse 23, that strategy worked. They laid many stripes on them. They throw them into prison and they command the jailer of the prison to keep them securely. The jailer would have been all in on how serious this was. Having received such a charge, he put them like into the innermost part of a rat infested hell hole and put their, their feet in stocks. Paul and Silas could have went this day didn't turn out like we thought it would. Paul and Silas could have been like, I really didn't see the like beating part coming. You know, three times Paul will be beaten with rods. This is the first. Paul and Silas are the ones that are thrown in prison. We kind of wonder where Luke and, and, and Timothy were. And some scholars look at this because some of you might go, where were they? Why weren't they? They made this a racial thing. Paul was indeed perceived as a Jew in their eyes, and so was Silas. For some reason, Timothy, a half-Jew, and Luke, a Gentile, they were like, okay, we can't, we can't lay that on them. But they're Jews. And they've broken our laws. Let's beat them. And I'm sure that was hard and very difficult and very painful and very bloody and very head-scratching. Wow, we're just, just, 
We're just doing what God has called us to do. How many of you as a Christian have went through some very difficult circumstances and it was just really hard to keep your eyes off of the difficult circumstances? I love the honesty. It's human nature, is it not? That might be you right now as a Christian. You're just going through something and you cannot take your eyes off of the difficulty of the circumstances, the injustice of the circumstances. But we've got to back way up and we've got to bring the sovereignty of God into all of this. You know, God was still directing them. As much as he told them, no, you're not going into Asia, and yes, you're going into Philippi, a jailer in a jail was part of God's plan. A sovereign God looked at the city of Philippi and went, I choose him too. I think it'd be really cool. Lydia and her house, that's awesome. I think it'd be really cool. Let's get the jailer as well and let's get his household. Now, if you were maybe beginning the journey with God and and, and, and maybe you were here and we're like, all right, well, we're going to all go and do some ministry together. And we, you know, get a handful of people. And, and we're like, well, part of the journey might be a little gnarly. Surfer stuff. Part of the journey might be really difficult. Some of us, as we go, might be beaten with rods and incarcerated. Some of it might be sacrificial and painful. I don't know how many of us would be like, where do I sign up? Where's the resource center again? Paul and, Bar- Paul and Silas are very human. And I know it hurt, but they walked very closely with their God. How do you know? Well, in that hellhole of a prison, Roman prisons were held. In verse 25 at midnight, They were praying and singing hymns to God. What's it say? The prisoners were listening to them. Ah. I am sure the jailer and all of these prisoners would say, that's a first. Paul and Silas, it doesn't say that they were complaining. They were beefed out about the injustices. I'm sure that was a first. What did they see before they heard? They would have saw two men that had given their life to Jesus be walked into a prison after being beaten. And what was in their heart before you heard it, you would have seen in their eyes. You would have heard it in their silence. Grace was on display in a prison. And then the conquering grace of God that saved them and changed them began to be heard by the prisoners and the jailer. Paul and Silas sang... Because they knew their God. And they knew that, that God was directing them and God, that God was guiding them. And whether it's a riverbank 
a marketplace or a prison cell. They're God's kids. And so we sing. They had a captive audience. 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately the prison doors flung open and these chains that would have held these guys like to walls fell from their, their, their arms. Everyone was loosed. God responded to the worship and the praise with this earthquake. The, the worship service of Paul and Silas brought down the house, literally. I remember years ago being in, um, in La Mirada. We were, it was our first building, and we would, meet for, we would meet for prayer and worship before the service. We had these glass windows, and sometimes I'd say, let's just let's walk around. Let's pray. I love the people who come here early, by the way, and just sit and worship and pray as half an hour before service. It's pretty cool. Same thing. And I remember I was walking towards the glass and I was looking on the sidewalk and there was this guy that was walking by. And I remember just like, man, Lord, save that guy. It was kind of that thing. And, you know, bring salvation into your house today and save that guy. And right when I said that, you know, I had no idea. We had an earthquake. And it was a doozy. And everybody, you could hear the kind of, oh, hey, oh, you know. And I just remember him. He went down to his knees and he looked straight at the church. And he looked at me, and I'm looking at him. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, Lord. And I went back to the group, and I'm like, we are going to have some church today. How many of you guys remember 9-11? Buildings come down when lives are shaken. People know where to run. God knew what he was doing. He wasn't just unshackling prisoners. He wasn't saying, oh, Paul, Silas, you could free you. Go, run. No, no. What God was doing was shaking souls that he wanted to redeem. The keeper of the prison of verse 27 awakened from sleep, seeing the prison doors opened up. Supposing the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Roman law said that any guard, any any guard, if, if, if you lost a prisoner, whatever their punishment was for the crime they did, you, you're going you're gonna to live that out. And he's like, I'm done. But Paul yells out with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm. We're, we're like all still here. And then he called for a light and he ran in and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The unwavering faith of Paul and Silas as they walked into that prison. The song in their heart to a God that had conquered them by his love and by his grace. What words did they sing? What words did they pray that that everybody there would have heard? No doubt this, this, this jailer would have taken in part of that or all of that to some degree before he fell asleep. But then the, the earthquake, and there's no doubt that he would have connected the dots with the building being shaken and the just, it's supernatural. 
No doubt he connected the dots of what he saw that could only be supernatural to the God that Paul and Silas worshipped. Sirs, what must I do to know him? He, he just, he was at that place. The, these events had brought him to an end of himself, brought him, him to a place where, where everything that kept him from seeing God or knowing God or wanting God was like stripped away. And that simple question, what must I do to be saved, brought a very simple answer. An answer that has resounded through the ages. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He didn't tell him go out and, and perform some sort of work. Go out and be circumcised, bro, if you really want to be saved, as the, some Jews believed. He didn't tell him go out and join a church, become a member in a movement. They pointed him to a person, the only one that is able to save, and his name is Jesus. That's what they did. They urged him to put his faith in him. The Philippian jailer was saved that night. He always knew that his salvation came through faith in the Lord by putting his faith in Jesus alone. Every time you asked him his testimony, that would be like, well, let me tell you what led up to it, but this is all I did. I asked a question. This was the answer. I put my faith in him, and I was saved. This whole idea of you and your household as well, it's, it doesn't mean that the faith of the, the jailer would automatically bring salvation to his family by proxy. It's not what that's saying. The idea was like, and you and your household will also be saved if they believe. That's the idea. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them, or he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house. He set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And I, I just want you to picture this. The earthquake, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> Believe in Jesus. He does. Somewhere through this, maybe you could think about if there was an earthquake in our city, you might find your family members. You follow me? If it's well, I've done that. We've had two good ones on church property here, man. Not to freak you out or anything. I think we're done with them for a month or two. But, but it's, it's amazing to watch what happens when God's house shakes. But oftentimes you're like, where's my family? And they're, they're no different. And her, his family's there now at the prison. But again, we, we want to see the sovereignty of God and we want to see the grace of God at work. What is the grace of God look like when they get there. If this guy worked in this prison for any amount of time, I could tell you he probably was like most prison guards that we see, a pretty hardened guy. And I'm sure when he ever told his kids or his slaves or his family members or his wife about those that he watched, he did so with disdain. They're there because they deserve Roman law. But now they walk in 
See it this way. Their relative that has only been a prison guard is washing the wounds of two of the prisoners. They saw transformation. They saw the effects of grace. And while that's happening, it says that Paul and Silas are sharing the words of Jesus. So they're there and they're like, you're not going to believe what else Jesus said. Did they, did they walk him through maybe the account of what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? Did they walk him through the account of John chapter 14 when Jesus was talking about the, he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man would ever come to the Father by, but by him. But sometimes the grace of God on display, commingled with the gospel of grace, opens the hearts. And people like, that's what I need. That's what I want. And the next thing you know, people are being baptized. I mean, they're, they're like Baptists. They're like into this baptism thing. It's like right away, genuine conversion needs to be genuinely expressed. That's just the way it was in the early church. And he just rejoiced. Just rejoiced. They had some people, you know, yesterday, like, Lance, how old are you? I'm like, I'm old. I'm 62. Yeah, you have kids. I like it when they say you have kids and not you have children. Kids. I mess with them. Yeah, one's three, one's seven, one's, yeah. No, no, no. I says, yeah, these are their ages. And I go, more importantly, I go, I just want to say this. I'm humbled. They're walking with the Lord. The, the joy of my life is not discovered on a platform. It's discovered in watching Jesus work in the lives of the people around me. This guy was just pumped. 35, we've got to finish this off. The magistrates, the earthquake, all that. They have no idea what's going on in the prison with the jailer and his household being there, but they then send some of their officers. And um, they come into Paul, and they're like, hey, there's some, the magistrates here have sent some guys in here to let you go. Just, just go in peace. They've had a change of heart. And Paul said to them, they've beaten us openly with rods. Uncondemned Romans? We're Romans. We're, we're, we're uncondemned Roman citizens. But they've beaten us with rods. <laughs> they've thrown us in prison. Now they want to just put us out secretly? No, 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 no. That's not how this is going to play out, boys. Let them come themselves. And let them get us out. And the officers, they went and told the, the, the magistrates. And they were afraid. The magistrates got all freaked out when they heard that they were Romans. Oh, we didn't know that. Paul very wisely here, knew that the reputation that he, Silas, Luke, and Timothy, along with the jailer, his household, Lydia and her household, and anyone else that would get saved, that the reputation of the church was at stake. They were labeled as lawless, lawbreakers. He's like, no, 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 no. 
if we are just snuck away and removed from the city, that's not going to work out well or bode well for the church that remains behind. Let them come and get us and walk us right out of this door openly and publicly as an open proclamation of our innocence. And that's what he did. So they came with hat in hand and pleaded with him, like, hey, man, really, we're so sorry. They brought them out. They asked him to depart from the city. They leave the prison. They enter the house of Lydia. When they'd seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Imagine the joy in Lydia's house. When Paul and his team come back in and go, you're not going to believe what's happened the last couple of days. Imagine the galvanizing of the church when they sat around, broke bread, and talked about the amazing things that God is doing in their life. Let me repeat that again. I'm going to say it a different way. Imagine what it was like for these Christians to sit around and not talk politics and not talk pandemics. To be mature enough and in love with Jesus enough to talk more about him than all of the challenging things happening in their world. Imagine the joy that would have just filled that house if all of what Satan is doing in the world was not constantly being brought into that house. Imagine the joy of just having someone overwhelmed by joy because of what God is doing in their life right now. I close with these last statements. Your joy, excuse me, your faith will not fade. Your faith will not fade. And your joy will not fade if you are in business with Jesus. I didn't say if you were saved by Jesus. Your faith will not fade and your joy will not fade if you're humbled enough and available enough and love him enough to let him use you. Your faith will grow and your joy will grow. And you know what you're going to see? Change lives. God changing lives around you. And that will grow your faith. And that will fill you with greater joy. So if you're, you're a Christian, you've, you're like, I'm going to heaven, man. I said the sinner's prayer. I know I did. I believe in him. And I'm going to heaven. <clears throat> Simple question. How's the journey going? Who are you taking with you on your journey? How's the, how's the joy around your life right These are things you just want to really think through as we go through these passages. Because it's people 
whose faith was growing and joy was blossoming. It was those kind of people who were imprisoned and wouldn't deny their faith. Who were fed to lions and would not deny their faith. Who were crucified and would not deny their faith. And it was because of their steadfast resolve and faith in Jesus that 2,000 years later, we're still having people filled with faith and filled with joy tell us about their God. And we've seen grace on display and we've heard it explained. And we, somewhere, sometime, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and we were saved. And maybe even your household. Father, thank you. Thank you for the encouragement in the book of Acts. As we pause now to thank you for your sacrifice. As we partake of the cup and of the bread. And we think about your body which was broken. Your blood that was shed. May this move you. As you're listening online and if you want to give your life to Jesus and you haven't, just right where you're at, cry out to him. Just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I believe in you. You are God. You died on that cross for me. And you rose from the grave and I ask you to come into my life and to save me. And, and, and here as well, Lord, receive our praise. Receive our our thanks as we worship you and partake of communion right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand and and ask me. He's just going to lead us in worship. And you can come up and and take a cup. But just go back to your seat. And and we're going to ask the lights to come down a little bit. And just hang out with the Lord. We'll have people standing behind the tables as well. If you'd like someone to pray with you for anything, maybe to accept the Lord or you have a need, just let them know and they'll pray with you behind one of these tables. But just take, take a few minutes. Hang out. Your kids are fine. Your car's fine. Just thank the Lord this morning.